0: to a new way of being being well welcome to body mind and soul healing conversations
1: to avoid an unpleasant experience you can create protocols these are rules that you create and live by Decisions You Make in Advance. The Old Money book details how anyone from any background can adopt the values, priorities, and habitats of America's upper class in order to live a richer life. This entertaining and informative work reveals for the first time the core values that shape the discreet but truly affluent old money way of life. Author Byron Tully then details how old money does it, offering time-tested advice on everything from clothes and cars to finances and furnishings. Whether you're just starting out or starting over, the Old Money book shows you how you really can live better while spending less. Valeria Teyes interviews Byron Tully, the author of Old Money, New Woman, How to Manage Your Money and Your Life, Secrets to America's Upper Class. Byron Tully is the author of The Old Money Book, How to Live Better While Spending Less, Secrets of America's Upper Class, as well as Old Money, New Woman, How to Manage Your Money and Your Life, and The Old Money Guide to Marriage. He is the curator of The Old Money Book blog, which has been visited by more than one million readers since 2014. He lives with his wife in Paris and continues to write. Meet Byron at theoldmoneybook.com. Here is the interview with Byron Tully. In
0: your own words, who is Byron Tully?
2: Um, Byron Tully is an author, um, and he writes primarily about the old money culture uh, in the United States and around the world. Um, And basically trying to... uh, get a message out about old money values um, and how old money people live and how, how anyone can adopt that lifestyle, um, regardless of what background they're from.
0: What inspired you, Byron, to write about old money culture?
2: Um, it really happened a few years ago after the 2007-2008 financial crisis. Um, my wife and I were living in Los Angeles, And when the financial crisis hit, we watched friends of ours and acquaintances and colleagues who were apparently, by all visible outward signs, very affluent and doing very well. They had the car, they had the McMansion, they had the jewelry, they had the clothes. But when the financial crisis hit, in about three to six months and even two or three years later, before things really started to come back with the economy, we saw a lot of them really suffer um, because they were, in actuality, living paycheck to paycheck. And they they had the lifestyle, but they didn't have the spending habits that some of our friends in Boston had who were from more established families, lived a more discreet, kind of under-the-radar lifestyle, And our friends in Boston, their lifestyle didn't change because they drove secondhand cars. They dressed conservatively and very modestly. Um, They didn't spend more than they earned. They didn't have themselves in an unsustainable lifestyle where every penny was going to a mortgage or going to a car payment or going to a credit card payment. And we saw that contrast. And, you know, I sat there you know, in my living room, a lot of times, and I had friends who were, you know, had the Rolex, they had the Audi, they had the, you know, the nice apartment, they were taking two and three and four vacations every year. And they're sitting there in the living room going, man, I don't know what I'm going to do next month. And so I, you know, after a, a a, a, a lot of soul searching. I said, you know what? I've just got to write about this. I've got yeah. to. I've never, never written a book before. And I said, I've, I've got to write about this. I've got to articulate what, what values and priorities and habits my friends in Boston and some friends over here in Europe had that protected them and gave them a higher quality of life, not just a standard of living, but a higher quality of life. And more security, you know, financial and, you know, but obviously emotional security to be able to kind of go with the flow and not be, you know, they they lived a different life. And so I said, okay, I've got to write about this. I've got to share this with people because most of it is not centered on how much money you have it's it, it yes it, you know old money requires money if you're going to be old money you have to have yeah. money but yeah. but most of it is the priorities that you have the values that you have yeah. and the and the spending habits that you have and that's what motivated me to say okay I've got to write about this and when I did luckily people really responded to it and and it's been now I've written three or four books about different aspects of old money. Um, You know, I wrote about marriage, um, about how people can develop relationships and use certain traditions and certain um, strategies that old money families and individuals use in order to choose the right person to spend their life with. It's a huge decision. And then you know, a few years ago, um, a friend of mine in California said, you've got to write a book specifically for women. It's too important. And about that time was about the time that the Me Too movement started. And I said, okay, we've, we've really got to speak up here. Um, and, and that's, what's motivated, um, writing about, that's what initiated writing about old money. And it just, things have kind of rolled forward from there.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you did. And that is so true. That we women don't tend to talk about money often, for some reason.
2: Yeah, when you know the the whole um, the the era that my parents grew up in was was you know people ask me, oh, are you a feminist? And it's like I I grew up I grew up with my mother working. I grew up with a lot of strong women, all of them working. All of them involved in the decision-making processes of our family. Um, all of them pursuing what they wanted to pursue. And so, the idea that oh, it was feminism. No, it's really not. You know, there's there have always been strong women out there. And to be able to go, okay, look, this is what's important. You know, and and I when I reached out to female friends of mine to start writing Old Money, New Woman. They said you've got to tell them about this. You've got to tell them about that. You've got to tell them about about yeah, yeah. how to how to you know how to date guys and how to look mm-hmm. at guys and, and the illusions they can't have about dating and marriage and their money and investments and their careers and so I didn't so much write it as as curate yeah. all of these experiences and all of this wisdom from all of my female friends and, and people I didn't even know. Um, people writing me emails saying, "Hey, I'm a friend of Susan's. Can you include this in the book?" And just incredibly valuable information that women need to know because women are outliving their husbands. They're man- they're managing more of their money. They're making all you know. They're making ninety percent of the buying decisions for their household. You know, and there, there's a huge amount of power regardless of whether a woman is single or married or has children or whatever her situation is, there's a huge amount of power there. And to be able to know how to address that and use that so that you you don't get victimized by companies trying to sell you things, you don't get victimized by fashion trying to sell you something every six months, a new dress every six months, You, you really learn how to manage this stuff that That was really the message in this book.
0: Yeah, thank you, Byron. And I appreciate it very much. So my next warm-up question to you is about the meaning of money. What does it mean to you to have money?
2: The money is something that, that and this is something that people who've had all money or they've had money over two or three or four generations, they really learn that the most important thing about money is, when you have money, you have options. You know, people talk about financial independence, like it's this hard, you know, uh, like a million dollars or it's this or it's that. Financial independence is a, is a, is a scale. And it starts off and, it, and it's just money. It's like with minimal financial independence. If you have minimal financial independence, that means you have to work every week because if you don't work next week if you lose your job next week you're in big trouble okay because you only have money for the next two or three weeks and paying the rent and you know next month if you lose your job is a big problem okay that's minimal financial independence that's a minimal amount of money a minimal minimal amount of options that you have and then as you move up the scale and go okay i've got money uh i've got money in savings um for the next six months or for the next year. Okay, if I lose my job, I'm, I'm okay for a minute. Okay, I've got money for the next 10 years. I've stacked up my investments and my savings and my cash flow and I've limited my expenses. And I've got money for the next 10 years or the next 20 years without dipping into my principal or without worrying about anything. Then you have options. It's like, well, what do I really want to do with my life? You know, I don't have to work at this office job if I don't want to. So, so money, you know, people say, "Oh, money's power, and money's this, and money's luxury, and all this." No, it's options, because because people may, you know, there are a lot of wealthy people, and they just they like they live on a farm, or they're a park ranger, or they're a dog breeder, or a horse breeder, or Uh, whatever, or they work with underprivileged kids because that's what they're passionate about. It gives you the option to live your fullest life, not to buy stuff. It it gives you an opportunity and an option, not a a credit card limit, not a spending limit, not a conspicuous consumption, you know, license to be a jerk, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know so and, and so you see when, when people get money you know they win the lottery or they you know their first round draft pick uh, for a sports team and all of a sudden they have a big windfall of cash or they inherit money and what you see is here's here's your choice you have an option to embrace an opportunity or you have the complete, you have just the option to go spend money, waste it and blow blow an opportunity and waste an opportunity. And so that's what that's what money means to me. And that's the culture of all money tends to take. OK, let's let's take advantage of this, live wisely and use this as an opportunity. You know, so my grandchildren, OK, but, you know, I've got plenty of money. OK, now my grandchildren and my children have their education paid for. That's an opportunity to enrich lives. I can give to charity, you know. So there's these opportunities open up when you have access to money.
0: Yeah, that really sounds to me like um, someone who is applying wisdom it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, in every area of their lives.
2: Exactly, right. exactly.
0: So my next question, the warm-up question, is about success. How do you define success these days?
2: Um, I would su- I would define success as living as fully in, as possible in the different areas of your life you know people can obviously be very successful financially and their personal life is terrible their health is terrible their spiritual life is non-existent there's there's a spectrum of personal, aspect of things, the spiritual aspect of things, the physical aspects of things, what kind of relationships do you have? What kind of legacy are you going to leave in your community? You know, how do, how do people speak about you? People who you can't do anything to, and you can't do anything for them. You can't do anything to them. How do they speak about you? You know, that, that 360 degree view is, what i see okay success you know and are your goals constructive you know are you going to try and make a billion dollars but destroy the planet in the process by polluting you know there there are all these different facets to it it's it's a rubik's cube that I think most of us spend our life, you know, turning around and going, oh, I gotta get the green over here, I gotta get the red over here. <laughs> oh <You know? laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not really good on my yeah. spiritual side, I need to work on that. And you kind of yeah. keep turning this Rubik's Cube around. Yeah. And but that in itself, that process of being aware and then move and moving to correct something or enhance something or get better at something or, you know, have less of a temper, you know and, and not be as fearful, whatever it is that you have this awareness about, working toward that. And, you know, there was, a, there was one guy I read years ago, and he said, hey, why don't you join us in the true nobility? And the, the person he was talking to said, well, what's the, what's the true nobility? And he said, to be a better person tomorrow than you are today. He said, that's what we're working on. Join us. And that, I think, is the definition of success, is constructive goals, the awareness that you're not there yet, and the awareness that it's not all about you. It's kind of what you leave behind, you know, and and how far you come. You know, if, if you're born wealthy and you die wealthy, but you haven't done anything, well, you haven't really been successful, even if you die with a lot of money. But if you if you start from somewhere and go a long way, how far did you go? You know, heck, can, are you going to look back and go, yeah, I didn't really do everything I could. And that's a horrible feeling. You know, yeah. I, I would imagine I'm not dead yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, having regrets, <laughs> but, right? you having
2: regrets. Yeah, right. yeah. It's right. like, OK, minimize the regrets, maximize the experiences, leave a positive impact you know, and spend most of you know spend fifty one percent of your time in joy. You know, you t- you talk about fit for joy. Make yourself fit for joy. You're like, okay, spend get, get it over the you know get it over the halfway mark, and spend fifty one percent of your time joyfully through work and service and thinking about other people. I think that really comes down to you know that kind of boils down to like okay. Yeah, I think, I think most people would say, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good definition of success.
0: So my last warm-up question is about the purpose of life. What do you think the purpose of the human experience is, Byron? Um, I think
2: the purpose in life is to come in and play. You know, Voltaire said life is a, is a game of cards, and you get dealt a certain hand. And how well are you going to play that hand? Maybe you get dealt four aces. A few people do. But most people get dealt a mixed hand of cards. Their family situation is not so good. Their personal situation, you know, it's not so good. Their health may be a challenge. You know, maybe they're coming from a difficult environment or a bad neighborhood. But the purpose in life is to see where you can go from there. And see how close to being Godlike can you be. You know, the there was a friend of mine, there's a friend of mine from India who's a very successful businessman, and I was lucky enough, I met him a few years ago, and he recently passed away. But he he said he said the difference between Christian religion and, and Hinduism is Hindus think that God they, they think that God is inside of us. And our job is to let him out and be a be a little piece of God on earth. And I think that that you know, when talking about a purpose, it's like okay, be a little piece of God on earth. You know how you know that again? Spread that joy, spread that love. But if it's like if it's if it's owning a business and and providing people paychecks or teaching kids at school and and give it, being that one teacher that, you know, every, every kid that's now an adult has one or two or maybe three teachers that they remember. And if your purpose in life is to teach, be one of those teachers that kids come back to at the end of their life and and hunt you down and say, mm-hmm. you know, Miss Koopman, you were the best. I got so much out of your class. You made me feel like a million bucks when I was having trouble at home. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. to, to be that Little piece of God on Earth, Mm -hmm. I think is I think across the board. If everybody just took that motto and tattooed it on their forearm,
0: (laughs) right? (laughs) I
2: think think that that would be. Yeah, I think that would be the 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 purpose in life.
0: So you wrote the book, among others, "Old Money, New Woman: How to Manage Your Money in Your Life: Secrets of Americans Upper Class." I have a general question for you. How did you become a writer, Byron, in general?
2: Um, it was... I, my mother says that it's in our DNA. Um, my, um, my grandfather was a newspaper publisher, and a lot of my uncles were journalists and editors and publishers. So it kind of runs in our family, um, and it's just something I've always done, and I've always been good at. So uh, it was... I, I can't really say, oh... I had, well, there was a moment, you know, I was, I really early on in my life, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was sitting with my dad and, you know, I was saying, oh, I might open a chain of liquor stores. I might do this. I might do all the stuff in business or, you know, other things. And he said, I always thought you'd do something with your writing. And it was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of the obvious easy thing that I love to do. And and it kind of went from there. Once that, you know, once that little light went on, um, you know, I started finding my way through magazine articles and a few newspaper articles and going, okay, I'm not really a journalist, even though that's what my grandfather and uncles were. Um, I'm not really into newspapers as much as I am into writing, um, you know, I was writing screenplays in Los Angeles and making a little bit of a living there. Um, and, and, and then when I wrote the book, I was like, yes, I, this is really, I really feel strongly about this, but it, it's always been a part of me. Um, so that's, uh, it wasn't a big decision. It was more, um, just kind of to, you know, following up following in my ancestors' footsteps.
0: So when it comes to living a good life, let's say, or, a life that is alignment with well-being, you suggest that we create protocols for different aspects of our lives, as you mentioned earlier, bringing those areas together, spiritual, personal, professional, and financial. Before I ask you to go through these areas and talk to me about them, why did you choose the word protocol in the rules, secrets, guidelines?
2: Um, I I thought that it... I thought about the different possible meanings of the word. You know, we talk about when governments or, you know, you're the United Nations or they're negotiating treaties, they'll talk about the Kyoto Protocol, or they'll talk about different protocols. And in that essence, a protocol is a general document that's an original document that's going to inform subsequent documents. So, you know, if they have a protocol... You know, that's one that's one possible meaning or one possible context for the word protocol. So the second possible protocol is you go into the doctor and you say, hey, I've got this I've got this infection and, you know, my foot's not looking really good. And the doctor says, "Okay, what we're going to do is I'm going to I'm going to treat this uh, with some antibiotics and then we're going to clean it. And, you know, we're going to need to get this stuff out of here. So I'm going to open up a little bit and I'm going to stitch it back together. But your protocol going forward is you're going to have to, you know, clean this twice a day. You're going to have to keep your foot up. And it's, it's a protocol in the sense of this is what you need to do. So we have here's a document that's going to inform all subsequent documents. And it's going to inform the direction and the scope and the detail of where we'll go. That's that's one protocol. And the second protocol is this is what you're going to do on a daily basis. So in those two definitions, you know, which you'll see, and if you look in the dictionary, there's, okay, protocol. Here's what it could be. Here's what it could be. Here's what it could be. In those two, I thought that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an original document with, let's say, the, like the Ten Commandments in the Bible. You know, here's an original document that informs basically uh, every law that we live under in the United States or in Europe. Don't steal, don't kill people. <laughs> all, of our, all of our subsequent legislation pretty much revolves around this original document. And so when, when people create a, protocols for themselves. They're creating an original document that's going to inform subsequent behavior, really. And then they're also giving themselves a daily regimen, which a doctor would do if he said, okay, this is a protocol, this is what we're going to do, we're going to do chemotherapy, radiation, uh, you're going to get on a better, better diet, depending on the, whatever illness they're trying to address. But those th- that's the reason behind it.
0: Yeah, it sounds to me like a commitment to yes. improvement and growth, right? It's a yes. serious commitment.
2: And yeah, they're are commitments, and it's also boundaries. Mm, you know, yeah. you're committing. Yeah. You're committing to, um, you know, you're committing to this, you know, to to this code of behavior, if you want to call it that, and you're also setting up boundaries for yourself. Right. Um, so that's, yes, yeah, that's exactly, It's commitment.
0: So talk to me, Byron, about these uh, different aspects of protocols, spiritual, personal, professional, and financial, and how do we learn to establish them?
2: Okay. The The, the first thing I think that, that's important to do is for people, people think, you know, when I've talked with people privately about this, they think they have to start from scratch, you know, and you don't have to start from scratch. You, you probably you know, people probably already have protocols that they're living by and they don't even realize it. So that's the place to start. It's like, okay, are you going to drink and drive? No, I'm not going to do that. Okay. That's a protocol. Okay. So you're not going to drink and drive. Just write that one down. You know, there's probably, you know, people can live their life with 10 protocols, you know, five or 10 big protocols, but let's say, okay, not going to drink and drive. All right. Are you going to, Ride in a car with somebody who's been drinking. You know, I'm not going to do that either. I'll call Lyft. I'll call Uber. Okay. Okay. So there's a protocol. So these are these are personal things. Okay. Let's go to spiritual. So what are you doing spiritually? Well, I'm going to church, or I'm meditating, uh, or I'm reading up on a new religion that I'm interested in. I'm I'm trying to be a better person every day. Okay. So what's involved with that? Okay. You're, you you want to go to church every day? You want to meditate every day. You want to read a book about spirituality and kind of get more in touch. Okay, so just write down two or three things into that category that you want to do and and when you're going to do them. And are you are you, you know here's this is the more challenging aspect is when you move into am I going to live my spiritual practice every day? You know, am I going to live it at work? You know. And so you go through, you know, you go through the personal part of it. You go through the professional part of it. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be the guy that finishes everything on time, under budget, you know, dot every I, cross every T. That's going to be me. So how do do you frame that for your own personal situation? Um, Financially, you go... To your spending habits and go. Okay, I'm earning money, but I'm I'm not real. I don't really have a savings plan. Okay, I'm going to save 10% of my gross paycheck every week and just stick stick that into savings. Do an automatic transfer, and that goes into savings. And I'm not going to touch it. I'm going to just let it grow, and then I'll figure out what I'll do with it later. Or I want to, you know own my own business. So what I need to do, you, you set up these, you set up these commitments, but you set up these boundaries, which is I'm not going to have credit card debt. I'm not going I'm, to, I'm always going to spend, I'm always going to earn more than I spend. So that becomes a protocol that serves you well because if you always earn more than you spend, you're going to be in pretty good financial shape over a certain amount of time. It's inevitable. It's math. It's, you know, it's not, it's not, there's no, there's no magic to it. And so you take these different aspects of your life and you write out a protocol and it's, you know, I always learn more than I spend. I'm, I'm all, I'm always, in you know, learning about my profession, you know, attorneys, you know, attorneys will have, um, what they call um, the – they have to take so many hours of classes every year in order to maintain their law license, you know, and it's this, it's this minimum. And so they're constantly learning. And you just say, you know what, in my profession, I need to, con- I need to constantly be learning more. I need to know what the latest trends are. You know, I need to know, you know, I need to go to these conferences or be online and participate in these conferences and see who the industry leaders in my particular profession are. I need to meet the guys and gals that are in my business, in my area, and have a cup of coffee with if it's out on the sidewalk, you know, six feet apart with mask on. You know, you have to, you have to meet people and, and know what's going on. So you make these different you know, you set up these different protocols for yourself um, in, in, in these different areas, and you stick with it. You need to make it something definitive, and you stick with it. Um, and that's really, that's, that's really the, the holistic way to approach it is the spiritual, the personal, the professional. You know, okay, hey, you know what? I'm married. I'm not going to cheat on my wife. I'm not going to cheat on my husband. That's one of my protocols. I'm not going to hide things from them, you know. There, there's protocol, and and you set it up in advance. You set it up in advance so that you don't get ambushed by a situation. You don't, um, you don't have peer pressure playing into a situation. You know, oh come on, you know. But you know, I I was at a when I was in high school, I was at a party. And there was drug use, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what I was walking into. And, you know, there was, there was a lot of stuff going on that I didn't participate in. And so I just went on the back porch of this house and I just kind of hung out, you know, me and a couple other guys. And these guys came up to me and said, Hey, we've got this, we've got that. You should try this. You should try that. And I said, no, I'm really, I'm that's not really my thing. And they kept on and they kept bugging me about it until this, big football player who was a friend of mine. He was, you know, I'm six foot four. This guy was huge. He's like a refrigerator with a head on top of him. He was huge. And he came up behind him and he said, hey, cut it out. He doesn't do that. That's not, that's not the way he rolls. So just cut it out. And so they left me alone. But the protocol that I'd set up, everybody knew. It was like, Byron doesn't do drugs. So why, why even go there? And so these protocols are going to take care of so many tough decisions, so many problems, because your friends are going to know. You know, they're gonna, you can even you can sit down, you know, have a girls' weekend and go, hey, let's make up some protocols. And they go, well, what's that? It's like, okay, so these are the rules we're going to follow. We're not going to sleep with guys on the first date. We're not going to get in credit card debt. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. Um you know, we're not going to be in abusive relationships. We're going to be there for each other. Set up these protocols, and everybody's going to know how you are. Then, and it's like they're going to run interference for you. The word's going to get out. You know, you say that uh, that this has been going on at work, and I'm just—that's just not the way she is. You know, you're going to get a reputation, and that's going to precede you, and it's going to make life so much easier. You know, because really the. The, the thing at the, when I was in high school with the party was the least of it. It made life so much easier because people will go, yeah, I'm not even going to approach them about this. I'm not going to approach them about unethical or illegal behavior or, or doing something stupid because everybody knows that's not the way she is. So that's, that's really, you know, that's one of the big advantages of, of establishing these protocols is, yes, it helps you personally. But it helps you socially it helps you professionally mm-hmm. yeah. because the word gets out that you this is the way you are and there's there's no reason to even to even bring a subject up that's not you know that's not healthy or constructive
0: so protocols we speak of they are really connected to values and beliefs aren't they Bart?
2: yes yeah. Yes, these these are, you know, I talk in the original Old Money book, I talk about core values, right. core values of family, core values of education, core values of health, privacy, financial independence, the work ethic. These are core values that help people. Yeah, they help people create and preserve wealth, but they also create a quality of life, a certain quality of life that. Is really desirable. That's really what everybody's looking for: in a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose. And, and these, these protocols act as the framing for those values. They they it's like you're framing a house. It's like okay, we're going to frame this house. This is these are the, this is you know this is where this corner ends. This is where this corner ends. This is how tall it is, this is the way it looks, this is the shape of it. And these protocols, you know, here's 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 a good example of what a protocol does for people. Is you you, like you're talking about being fit for joy. And this is this is like the best, this is like the best slogan ever. Because when imagine that you're a child and you're on a playground. And you've got this playground where you can run and jump and play and be as joyful as you can possibly be because it's your playground, okay? But over here, just on the sidewalk by that playground is a guy dealing drugs. And over here is a busy freeway with a bunch of cars going by really fast. And over here is a cliff that drops 50 feet down, and it's dangerous, And you want to walk in, you want to play on this playground in complete joy, unrestrained joy. So you say, you know what, I'm going to establish a protocol that I'm not going near these dangerous things. I'm not not going to drink and drive. I'm not going to spend more than I make. I'm not going to do drugs. I'm going to, you know, not just not, it's not simply just about not doing things, but I'm going to take care of my health. I'm going to prioritize my relationships. You set up all these protocols. It's like a wrought iron fence around this playground. And once you've established that, you get to run and jump and laugh and scream and play and do and do and be as joyful of a child as you can be, because you don't have to worry about what's on the other side of that fence. Because you know none of your toys are going over there. And if they go over there, you're not following them. Yeah. You you're, you're keeping it. You know, you know exactly what your boundaries are, so that that's really what you know, That's really what protocols do
0: for you. I like the way you use the word boundaries because uh, you include that as part of these protocols. Yeah, that's a tough one sometimes yeah. to say no yeah. <laughs> to yeah. certain things or people.
2: Yeah. yeah, and the 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 key with the protocol is that it's impersonal, you know, and that's, that's a real key point because it, you know, I don't like saying no to people, you know, I don't, I don't like, I don't like doing that. I'm not comfortable with confrontation or anything, but if you say, if you present the protocol to someone else and say, you know, that's just not something that I do, you know, or that's really the, that's, that's the, big It's impersonal. It comes across as a policy and not something directed at a person or at them. And then you can say, yeah, that's not that's just not something that I do, Um, you know, and basically the, the positive way to present it is, you know, I always do this and I don't really make any exceptions to that rule. I always you know, I always get a ride home um, with. I, I always go to someplace I don't know with girlfriends of mine, or, or someone that I know. I don't really go, you know, places that I've never been before with people I don't know. And it's just a policy of mine. I, I don't make exceptions. Yeah. And that's the easy way to, the easier way, to address it.
0: Yeah. Would you say that? Nice spending more than we make is one of the biggest advice you can give anyone when it comes to money?
2: Yes. Um, you can't spend more than you earn. You have to earn more than you spend. Because it, if you create an unsustainable lifestyle, that there, it's going to add so much stress. There, there's so it, it bleeds out into so many areas. Um, you know, the... But not spending, excuse me, you know, to say I always earn more than I spend, okay, that, that, puts, that puts so many issues into perspective. Because you can look and go, oh, I love those shoes. But they're Louboutins and that's, you know, they're 1200 bucks, and that's what I make in a week. Okay, I always earn more than I spend, okay. If, if I can pay cash for them and it's not going to affect my financial security, great. But to put it on a credit card and pay 23% interest? No, no. Um, I think, you know, I think that part of that, that protocol is key. And then the other pro- protocol that's really key is that you say to yourself, I do what needs to be done when it needs to be done, whether I like it or not. And that... Is that when you look at it yeah when, we go to, when when we go to school, we go to elementary school and junior high and high school and college we learn things we learn how we learn math, we learn history we learn grammar and spelling we learn chemistry you know we learn English literature, whatever it is we learn technical curriculum but what we really learn how to do is to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done whether we like it or not. Like, you know what, I'd really like to party on Friday night, but I got an exam on Monday. So I have to study. And that ability, it means you can you can delay gratification and save up to start your own business. It means you can, you know, you can save up to buy a house. It means you can, you know, you can take care of your parents when they're aging, rather than going, yeah, just ship them off to, you know, Uncle Bill or whatever. You know. I do what needs to be done when it needs to be done, whether I like it or not. And that, that commitment, that protocol bleeds out into every aspect of life. Whether it's writing a book, meeting a deadline, whatever it is, you know, getting up and exercising, you know, at five o'clock in the morning when it's cold, it's, it's everything. Um, And I I think that that's I think those two protocols are really the key ones is I always earn more than I spend and I do what needs to be done when it needs to be done, whether I like it or not. Yeah. That's that's pretty close to the whole ball of wax.
0: What a great suggestion. Yeah, I love that. The idea of commitment. Yeah, that's goes back to that holding on to your beliefs, doing what you need to do, right? Whether you you are complaining about it or not, you just get it done. <laughs> or the body complain about it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right.
2: yeah, most 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 <laughs> things in the world get done by people who don't, who are tired, who don't feel good, and they complain about it, but they still do it. Yes. <laughs> so.
1: yes.
0: So true. So I have two more questions for you. The ending questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way?
2: Um, I would probably finish a novel I've been working on. Yeah. <laughs> probably want to wrap that up. It's not finished yet. Yeah. Um, but I, I, other than that, um, I really wouldn't because I'm I'm really living that way mm-hmm. a large percentage of the time right now um, because, I, you know, one of the things about aging is you start to get perspective on things. And... You know, a friend of mine's um, mother died last year and I flew home, uh, you know, I flew home for the wedding. I'm sorry, for the funeral. I flew home for the funeral. And, you know, when I saw my friend, I've known him for 15 years. And I said, you know, I said, I love you, man. I know it's a tough time. And he said, I love you, bro. And he said, you know what? And, and he lives in Texas and I live here in Paris and he said, every time we talk to each other, every time I talk to you on the phone, I'm going to tell you I love you because life goes by so fast. He said I, said, I talked to my mom on Sunday. She died on Wednesday. And and so there there have been all these difficult experiences I've had that, you know, kind of keep that carpe diem mindset, you, you know, right in the forefront. So the, I'm not really doing not really not doing things that i would do if i knew i was going to die in three months or six months um i'm I'm kind of like yeah this is what i want to do today i'm fine if i die tomorrow and that's really that's really I'm, i'm lucky enough to be able to live that way right now
0: yeah that's a great answer to that question uh that means you have been living this regretless life really Pretty
2: much.
0: Oh, pretty <laughs> so much, very close to it.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't say
0: 100%. Yeah, yeah. And if you are aware of that, those, the remaining percentage, that's even better. <laughs> so you can do something about it. And the last question is what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? You know, I
2: know very confidently, very certainly that you. you There's so few things that you can go back and fix. Once they're once they're in the past tense, they're past. You know, you you you, there's so few things you can fix. Um, That's the first thing. Um, The second thing would be that you, you you I don't think that you you know people say oh you can do anything in life. I think you can do what you were put on this planet to do. And with, within that niche, potential is unlimited. You know, if you, if you want to be a teacher and you want to touch kids, I don't think there's any limit to how much impact you can have on those kids. Or if you want to be a doctor, or if you want to be a research scientist and come up with a, with a cure for whatever, you know, but, uh, you know, if, if you're five feet tall and, you're short for your weight and you say, I'm going to be a star in the NBA, I, you know, be a pro basketball player. I, I don't think that that's a plan, but that, and, and I guess the third thing would be um, that I'm not really sure about that much. There are a few things I'm really certain about. that. Yeah. Um, I leave a lot of slack, a lot of play because Every time I say, yeah, that is always the way it is. That's never the way it is. Then, you know, you just set yourself up to have a new painful experience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So so I guess those would be the three things.
0: Thank you so much, Byron, for sharing your wisdom.
2: Thank you very much. I really, you know, I, I really, I'm really excited about, you know, the good that you're doing. And the the positive message that you're sharing with people. And I just I wish you continued success,
0: you know, in doing it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate what you do too and your fun presence. <laughs> I call <laughs> it spiritually fun, because everything is spiritual to me. Thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Um, if you go
2: to um if you type in the old money book um you'll find an amazon uh, um product listing and, and it's the same thing for old money new woman you'll find the amazon product listing where you can pick up the books and if you simply want to read more about old money and different subjects of different things that I talk about on the blog um the if you go to www um We've been going, the blog has been visited by, I think, about 1.2 million people over the past six years, so we've had a lot of fun. It's been very popular, and uh, it's just been a really great forum for people to talk about uh, old money and other things. So, those are the two places, Amazon and theoldmoneybook.com.
0: Wonderful. And they will be listed on your podcast profile, too, these links. Oh,
2: thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Byron.
1: We'll talk soon. Bye for
0: now.
2: Take care. Bye.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn more about Byron Tully and his work, please visit the oldmoneybook.com.
0: To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.